Welcome to another episode of the Front End Happy Hour podcast. Whether you're giving a presentation to a large audience at a conference or your team, or even trying to articulate an idea, public speaking is an important skill set. In this episode, we are joined by Anne to talk with us about public speaking. Anne, can you give us a brief introduction of who you are, what you do, and what your favorite happy hour beverage is? So my name is Anne Ricketts, and I run a company called Lighthouse Communications, and we help people communicate more effectively. So everything from doing a conference presentation to simply feeling more confident speaking up in meetings. Favorite happy hour beverage is a Negroni. Cheers. That looks good. Cheers. All right. Well, let's also give introduction of today's panelists. Mars, you want to start it off? Sure. Um, I'm Mars Julian. I'm a senior software engineer in the Bay Area, and uh, all thoughts are my own, especially when public speaking. (laughs) Jem. Jem Young, senior software engineer at Netflix. And I'm Ryan Burgess. I'm a software engineering manager at Netflix. In each episode of the Front End Happy Hour podcast, we like to choose a keyword that if it's mentioned at all in the episode, we will all take a drink. What did we decide today's keyword is? Conference. 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 Right on. <laughs> so from now on, if we say the word conference, we'll all take a drink. And we had asked you to join us. Obviously, on this topic made a lot of sense because you helped a lot of us with our presentation skills or public speaking. We've all been fortunate enough to take your course and workshop that you run with Lighthouse. And I I personally feel like I've grown a lot from just doing that course. So before we dive in, you mentioned a little bit some of the things that the training that Lighthouse does, but I'm curious, how do others reach out to you and hire you and and get the benefits you provide? Sure. Well, the website is lhctraining.com and my email is ann at lhctraining.com. And yeah, we do one-on-one coaching. Now we're doing a lot of virtual coaching because we can't be in person. We do in-person workshops like you all have taken and then now we're doing virtual workshops. So lots and lots of different um, formats. Awesome. Yeah, we are still in quarantine. So we are virtual and are we getting good at this or I'm not sure. And how how's it been pivoting to teaching remotely? It's going pretty well, but it's funny. About four years ago, I did a live webinar and I ran, it just didn't go very well at all because I was not prepared for it. And I'm not, if you know me well, I'm not exactly the most tech savvy person. So it was really a struggle and I ran out of the room and I told my husband, I'll never do a virtual presentation again. And then COVID hit and I had about two weeks to get it together and then teach how people how to do virtual presentations. So I would just say every time I do it, I'm just feeling more and more comfortable. And now I, I even like it. How about you guys? How are you feeling about it? I mean, I still struggle with it. I think gotten better at it, maybe more used to it, but I think For me, what's been really hard is not being able to see the people's reactions that you normally would see in in reading body language or just facial expressions as you're speaking, whether it be in a team meeting or larger audience. I'll I'll think of one. I did a conference. Cheers. Cheers. I think it was early March where I did a bit of a fireside chat. I believe there was three or four hundred people attending, but I didn't see anyone. And so that was like really awkward feeling for me. I was getting in my own head. Is this valuable information I'm sharing? Because you weren't able to to see those reactions of people nodding along or frowning or sleeping or, you know, like, who knows? At least you get some signals to say like, okay, like move on or 
this is the right thing I'm saying. Uh, so I think that's been some areas that I've found a little more difficult. Obviously, you get some of that, like even with us right now, you can you can read each other's faces a little bit, but it's not quite the same. There's been several conferences. Cheers. Cheers. And various like online forums that have reached out saying, oh, you want to present be a presenter for this thing or you want to present on this topic or you want to speak on this and i've turned them all down i don't like remote presenting ryan like you were saying i prefer the in-person reaction to things because personally i i have a hard time with remote presentations because what's the difference between that and a youtube video and at that point like why why am i doing that live why not just pre-record it and then edit it and all these other things I'm sure Anne will enlighten us on the benefits of being a good live (laughs) presenter. But for me personally, I'd much prefer to to be there. Uh, That's one of the reasons why I do front-end masters is because we fly to Minneapolis and we teach a course on some front-end topic, but we do it in front of a class and then it's recorded and shared out. And that that makes such a big difference, especially when I have like some big grandiose topic planned out and I see I'm losing people 10 minutes in. I know that I can kind of step back, reevaluate what I want to do, and then uh, kind of re-explain myself. But when you're doing it remotely, you you might be able to focus on one or two people, but not everybody at once. And it, you, you don't get a vibe. Is I don't know if that's a technical speaking term, but you don't get a, a read from the audience very well doing it remotely. I thought you would have just said you didn't know if your joke landed or not. <laughs> My jokes always land. I just assume they <laughs> land. Yeah, I find that hard to believe. That, that's why a few years ago when I told that story, I ran out and said, I'll never do, do it again. It's for the exact same reason. If you have hundreds of people, I mean, that's, that's tough. Um, and there might not be any way around it. But what I'm finding, I'm doing the workshops in Zoom, and you can see up to 50 people. And I know at Netflix, for example, you usually use Google Hangouts, but you can use Zoom. I think Zoom's really good because you can get that gallery view. And one of the things that's helping me gauge how things are landing is asking them to use clear physical signals. So like, give me a thumbs up if you're on the same page, like thumbs down if you're not, like how are you feeling about that? Use your hand as a gauge, Um, raise your hand, just more physicality and you get a lot more clarity and it just kind of keeps everyone awake. So that's a little thing that's helping me a lot in these virtual meetings. I find like I have a a similar, like we've been doing that sort of more work too in terms of like being more physical with your responses. Um, and I find that not only like if you're the person running the meeting and not only helps because a lot of people put themselves on mute to keep, you know, whatever noise is in the background from coming into the meeting. It helps to like get answers to questions that you're asking. Um, and also from like the participant side, it helps to, you know, to make sure that you're engaged and sort of like that you're paying attention because it kind of wakes you up like, oh, I have to do something now. I have to respond, I sh- you know, paying attention and sort of more engaged for the conversation after that. For sure. So yesterday I was observing my team do a workshop and it may sound cheesy, but when she did it, it was amazing. She she shared the goal of the workshop and she said, okay, if you are on board with that goal, like give me a virtual high five. And everyone, there were 45 people, everyone did it. And then she said, give your neighbor a high five, give your other neighbor a high five. So in the gallery view, everyone's giving high fives and it was cool. It was really cool. I love that. It's a good idea. Even to Jem's topic of our saying like speaking at a large event, I'm just, I'm going to avoid our keyword. (laughs) But 
you know, I think about times of even like, I think maybe even Anne, you've given this as like a tip is sometimes engaging the audience as like maybe, you know, show of hands or, or things like that, where I think of those as helpful tips to make sure that, you know, people are actually paying attention, but it also, the audience feels a little more part of your conversation or presentation that's happening. For sure. Other things you can do are polls. Do you, are, are any of you using polls in your presentations or have you seen others do it? No. And and when you say polls, is that more specific? Like I get, you could use it in both, right? You could use it in the virtual presentation, but you could also be using it in like on stage physically as well too. But I'm curious, like, are there tools that you're thinking of for the virtual side? Yeah, on Zoom, they have polls. And I know on Google um, Hangouts, I think you can use something called Slido or um, Kahoot, there's different, there's different tools that you can use. But just, you know, is it A, is it B, is it C? And then the other thing is, um, then you can have them say, okay, I wanna know a little bit more about that. Go into chat and in one sentence or less, tell me why you answered the way you did. And in, then if you have a moderator, they can start to call out some of the answers. People love to hear their names. So you can say, oh, Mars said this, Jem said this. So just, this is really, um, can be a fun way to get people engaged. Yeah, I, re I really like that idea because um, I think that some of those, at least on Zoom, there are quite a few features that, you know, not everyone knows about, like the raising hand feature, for example, or like a poll, then using the yes, no toggle. And I like the idea of expanding on it in the chat because you can really like add more context to what's going on in a meeting or a presentation. I've never heard that before, but it's, that's really cool. Yeah. And one more thing with the chat, I found that when I ask a complicated question out of the gate. So one of the things in the in-person we spend a lot of time talking about is how do you start? How do you set the tone? What's your hook? And I think it's the same or even more important for virtual because most of the time people come into the virtual presentation and the speaker says, okay, we'll get started in a minute. And it's just dead silence, low energy. So instead have some kind of, e maybe it's an easy question like, um, in one, in a couple words, how are you feeling today? They type into chat or it can be a question related to the topic. And then the other thing you can do is play music in the background. On Zoom, it's really easy to share audio and people are like, oh, fun. Just, just a little something to break that couple minutes that you have to wait until you get into your topic. Oh, that's a great idea. I'm doing too. this on my next, my next <laughs> meeting that I'm running. There's going to be something. I'm totally taking that one. Now, and I like your part about the the silence because I hear I I see that a lot, even on professional YouTube uh, videos. I think I was watching uh, one of President Obama's like live speeches he gave last week or something. And there's like such a long delay. And they're like, the presentation's starting now. It was a good minute. And you're talking about like 100,000 people watching live. And it's just, I, I expect better. So that's a good tip to play music to keep uh, the energy. But what other tips do you have for keeping energy? Because that's one thing, a problem I have, even in meetings, if I'm giving a presentation, is like, you might be full of energy, but like that just doesn't translate over the internet. And when I'm, if I'm giving a talk or something, I can like convey some of that energy and like get people excited about it. But when you're talking to people at home, you don't know if it's raining where they are or there's a baby in the background or what's going on. So like, how do you give some of that energy remotely? Yeah, it, I would say keep it up. Uh, Ryan, you mentioned you start to get in your head because you think it's going terribly. So the first thing I would say, don't jump to these negative stories that it's going awfully. It's probably not. It's probably going well. So keep keep that energy up, even though it may feel over the top, just like keep it up as the presenter. And then having a moderator can help because as I mentioned, they can call out names and pull people in. And 
breakout rooms are an amazing way to keep people engaged. And in my experience, people are really hesitant to use them, and I'm not, I'm not really sure why, because um, there's so many, so many benefits to it. Number one is the speaker, you get a break. Great, you're off for five minutes, I get a chance to chill out, go to the bathroom, have some water, you know, look at my notes. And people like it because they get a chance to talk, especially if it's well organized and there's a really clear prompt. And then this is an actual advantage that we have in the virtual space that we don't in person because normally in an in-person meeting or presentation, it's the same people who are always talking. And people who maybe you know introverts or people who need a little bit longer don't have a chance to work out their ideas. But if you do breakout rooms, they get a chance to work it out and then you can get, um, you know, it just can be more inclusive. I like that too. I, I do find when we've used breakouts at, at work is it's been some really great discussions that have happened. I But I feel like part of it is even when we've done them, it's like, I hope this is going to work. Like, I think part of it is that fear of just like, there could be technical difficulty. And I think we need to just get over that is like, there could be technical difficulty. There has been technical difficulty. I mean, if I can do the breakout rooms, <laughs> y'all can do the breakout rooms. <laughs> um, yeah, it's just in practice, like simulating the breakout rooms. The other really, really important factor, I might've mentioned this before, is clear directions. Because if you have directions on a slide, once they're in the breakout rooms, they can't see it anymore. So having a Google Doc or just simple, and there's one more point that I thought of in regards to Jim's question, like how do you how do you keep the energy up? Just less content. You cannot cover the same amount of content that you would in person because people are distracted, they're tired. And so limit, limit, limit. Instead of having four agenda items on your meet in your meeting, maybe you just have one or two. Which I think like in general is probably a good practice no matter what whether you're in person or not is it's not easy to cut content like it's always that i forget the exact same but you can write a massive email to someone and that's actually really easy to do but to keep it clear and concise is is more work and to like a shorter email but i think that's so important because the message isn't lost and so it may take a little bit more time up front chopping down your presentation so i think this goes back to what makes a stronger like it makes a strong presenter in general is how do you make it clear for your audience to take something away and so it sounds like Anne, you're suggesting that it's really important in the virtual space but i i think probably in general we should be practicing that but i'd be curious your thoughts on that and even what does make a strong presenter i think like i would be you know we kind of bring that up yeah i think everything is just amplified in the virtual space you know so if you're taking a little bit longer to get to your point it might annoy people a little bit in person but it's going to really annoy them online so you just have to be really <laughs> cognizant of all these things but it's hard for many of you you're in back-to-back back-to-back meetings so you might not be able to prepare all your points before every meeting but if you're leading it just think about covering less ground really making sure your points clear up front and getting people engaged as much as possible and then in terms of what makes a strong presenter overall you know one thing i think a lot of people think that good presenters are just born that way that either you're good or you're not but i know from experience that, that that's not true anyone can be a good presenter the first thing is to know the behaviors that make you appear confident and that allow people to receive your message so a lot of these behaviors that we talked about in the workshop like staying grounded on your feet pausing making eye contact so that you're connecting these are a couple examples so knowing those behaviors practicing them and getting better at them and then the other thing that I think makes a really excellent presenter, and this takes a little bit more time, 
is to develop a conversational tone. So rather than going up in front of a group of people and it's seeming like you're regurgitating memorized content or you're giving a performance, making it seem more like you're having a conversation. Even if you prepared it and practiced it a thousand times, it just seems natural. What do you all think about that? I love what you said about the, I think the perception is people are like, yeah, you're a great presenter. And, you know, I'll just even use myself as an example. I've had people say, oh, you're a really good presenter. And I know, and and if you ever remember in the first workshop I did, I was terrible. Like, I feel like I had a (laughs) lot of filler words, wasn't as confident. And I, I think it's like, it takes time and you have to work at that. And every time I go and present, I can get better and I can, you know, I learn as I go and, you know, what could be better next time. And so it's really always interesting for people to to compliment on that. And it, I think sometimes it's even, oh, you're a natural speaker. And it, it, I don't know that that's the case because I do think that we all come at it from different angles and maybe you're in your journey or a little bit further along, but I think it actually does take a lot of work and practice. I still work on trying to remove filler words my ones to go to are like, I'm a little bit with the ums, not too bad, but I use the word like a lot and I hate it and I try to remove it so much. I've even felt I've gotten better after listening to myself. What are we at? Like 110 episodes or something of front end happy hour. I edit these things and have to listen to myself dreadedly hear myself say those filler words and it's, I still do them, but I feel like they've gotten better over time. Definitely. Yeah, I really like what you said, Anne, about the um, like behaviors that um, appear like help you appear like you have confidence. Because I actually think like they're very learned, and I can remember when I first started speaking to like how I feel on stage now is like very different. But the behaviors are really interesting because it projects one thing, but that projection comes back to you. I think so. Like you get a little bit better every time. So you're projecting confidence, which is instilling confidence, which is sort of like making this like it's not it's progress not perfection basically um but it not only helps the audience see you as confident but also like helps build that confidence in yourself when you're like going public speaking and and that kind of thing for sure for example what mars said about what you project affects how you feel simply like raising your volume makes me feel more confident and it is an ongoing process i mean still even as a communication coach i have to work a lot on it and then i have like today I had a workshop that I, I felt did not go well, but that's okay. I got to get back on the horse. Next time will be better. I just view it as a constant, uh, constant process. I guess uh, the confidence thing is huge. Not enough people think about that when they're giving a presentation. They think so much on the content. Like I need to have this content and this content and this content. Yet time and time again, I've seen the best presenters and the best presentations they can give a talk on how to eat a sandwich, but be, but because they're such good presenters, I'm like, oh yeah, I got something out of that. Even though I knew everything about sandwiches, I'm in my thirties, <laughs> I know plenty about eating sandwiches, but I still learned something. And I think that's a mistake that I made in the beginning was that I thought a good presentation was all about the content. It had to be good content and meaningful and people need to get it and all that. And that's important, obviously it's a presentation, but it's, it's really about how you present yourself and that alone makes people buy in and that makes them listen more, which makes them understand your content. So it's definitely confidence and presentation before the content. Not that you can't have one without the other, but it won't be as strong as presentation. For sure. Ideally, you can have both. I, I see that all the time in my workshop. People are like, they want to get every word perfect. And the analogy I use a lot, I, instead of, it is 
definitely confidence, but I, I think about connection because that feels a little less intimidating. Like you got to connect with your audience versus you have to portray this perfect sense of confidence. And I use this analogy of like a couple. So let's say that you're, the other person in the relationship is sharing content. They're talking at you. If you're in a period where you're not connected, you are not listening to that content. But if you're connected, then you hear it. It's the same thing with the audience and a speaker. Right. I guess you can just like be speaking to the room. If nobody's listening, what's the point? Yeah. And if you're just getting through a script and the audience will do that for a couple minutes and then they'll start to tune out. So you really got to connect with them sort of like talking riffing on the content idea like one thing um i got a tip from someone a while ago that kind of like really struck a chord with me that helps with the presentation is in every conference cheers by the way <laughs> cheers yeah cheers if you take even one or two points away from a talk like that's still a success um and i feel like when i first start, started talking i felt like the every single piece of content had to be meaningful um, and not so much like, what are the main takeaways? Like we've kind of mentioned this before. And then how do you build the story around that? So it's not just like every single piece of content has to be teaching something someone new, but more like creating that narrative that allows people to take the larger, higher level points away from it that they can really carry with them. And then maybe even publishing your slides online later so that they can return to like specific points. But it's the higher level stuff that kind of sticks with them. And that took a lot of pressure off of presentations for me. I was like, oh, okay, not everything has to be the best sentence or delivery ever. It really has to be about the structure of the talk as well and how it's delivered and, and that connection that you're talking about, Anne. I also love what you're getting at there, Mars, a bit too. More around maybe it's the content side of things that, especially when I think of talks that we do uh, on technical details or you know engineering specific presentations, as I feel like some people are hesitant to give a presentation or give a conference talk. Cheers. Cheers. <laughs> because they're not the expert in in the topic others know it more than them or whatever it may be but i think that going to mars's point is you can give one or two points to someone that's amazing like there was some takeaway and i think even just the fact of sharing your own journey around a topic or giving your own opinion or thoughts on it can be so meaningful even if i'm the best at React hooks, but Mars teaches me React hooks, I might learn something that I had a brand new perspective that I hadn't even thought about. And, and I think to me, that's something that I really liked Mars, like something I kind of took away from your points as well. Yeah. And I think that's a good point, sort of like in terms of encouraging people who have questions about starting public speaking, um, like they don't necessarily feel like they have anything to teach, but everyone has a different perspective to offer and, you know, even react hooks. Like I may use a hook in one way that someone's never, ever seen before. And someone else may use it in a completely different way. And someone, you know, different perspectives. I think also in the audience, like people are going to learn from that. It's a, it's a balance. I, I more of a, this is probably more advanced speaking. Cause in the beginning I'd say, yes, if you're just starting off speaking, focus on your delivery and your content, like try to balance those out, but don't, don't neglect the delivery in terms of content. Like that's a mistake I've made before and it just terrible presentations. And <laughs> you haven't lived until you've given a terrible presentation because you feel it and you feel it and you feel it later and you think, ah, I could have done all these things well. And hopefully on the next time you iterate, but it's okay. If you just start off public speaking, you will give a terrible presentation. It will happen. It's all right. But uh, more advanced speaking is some of the worst talks I've seen have been an excellent delivery, but the content was just shallow and it was just full of platitudes 
which are things that sound very wise, but they don't really mean anything. Like, look both ways before you cross the street. And like, you, <laughs> they're like points made, like you're a thought leader, but they're just, you're not really saying anything. Honestly, those are, for more advanced speaking, that's some of the most difficult presentations that I have to deal with when you're watching because you're like, this person doesn't actually know what they're talking about. They're just really good at selling you something, but there's no content there. And that's another danger that I would say be wary of once you start speaking a bit more. It's like, it's really easy to do those types of talks where there's just, there's no meat. There's no there, there. Yeah, maybe I'm going too far into like thinking about how to give a presentation, which probably stick to easier. Well, Jim, I think you bring up a good point that you should test your content on other people because if you ask people who you trust and are going to be honest with you, they'll say like, "Okay, what's the point? Like, what's the?" um, I don't know if you all remember we had this document that we I, I use when I coach speakers. It's called the focus questions, and it's like, "Okay, why should your audience care? Uh, What's something that will make your audience say, "Oh, I never thought of it that way." What's your insight? What's something fresh? What's something new? So I think you're always thinking about what's, once you get more advanced, again, like start off, it's okay. But as you get more advanced, you always want to be thinking about adding in a new element, um, approaching your topic in a way that others haven't perhaps. And that's really what's going to make people go, oh, that, that was really interesting. I love that you brought up that the template that you mentioned, Anne, like I still use that all the time like i have it it is the one that you gave us in the yeah absolutely i'll do it sometimes i'll use it sometimes at for work presentations but absolutely for conference presentations i'll cheers (laughs) it's usually my go-to my first thing that i do is start there i have an idea it helps me flush out like what's what's the takeaway and what's the most important thing who's the audience those those core questions in that outline is is super helpful and valuable something in addition to that too like i i like the template but something you said and too about practicing your content with people and something i like to tell newer speakers sometimes is that it really takes a village like a good talk is not is not born in a vacuum and i i experienced that at netflix like giving practice runs, you know, with Jem and Ryan, and they always give valuable feedback because they sort of like help tease out the main points. They also can give feedback on your delivery. And the the story arc or the narrative of the talk like really evolves over time, like especially with, you know, other people who are watching these practice sessions. And it's really invaluable to get like that fresh perspective on your content because sometimes you can be so in the weeds and focused on the content, the individual mm-hmm. slides, and someone's like, wait, what's going on in you know, the higher level? What's the story really about? Um, and so like one of the biggest things that stuck with me too is just like find people to practice in front of and do a lot of practice. Do it all the time. Mm-hmm. Honest, honest people, honest friends with honest feedback. You don't want yes, yes people. They're like, that was good. That was good. Just... That's cool, but that's not helpful at all when you're trying to rehearse a presentation. You want people that aren't going to be overly harsh, but will be honest with you, which is why usually I practice with Ryan and Mars, because I know they'll tell me <laughs> if it doesn't make sense. Hey, Jem, do you remember the A-B testing presentation that I, I <laughs> ran through with you? Yes. What did you, te- what did you tell me for feedback? What did I tell you? I think you just said it was awful. Like, it, it was basically oh, yeah, pretty that, brutally honest. That was it terrible. Was, uh, <laughs> it, I mean... It was good though. It was like really helpful. Like we talked about why it wasn't just that Jem put it down. Sucker. Uh, <laughs> but he was like, this is not good. Like you can do better. And we talked about what could be better about it. But like you need someone honest to give you that feedback. I actually think it's harder to give the presentation 
to people that are are close to me because I know they're going to be brutally honest. I think that's a lot harder than actually going up on stage to give it to a multitude of people. They're like, ah, I'm out. Like, I don't have to talk to them. I just gave it, even if I bomb on it. It's But it's like my peers giving that is so much harder. I've even, I've ran through presentations with Anne in the past too, like where um, that's something that you offer part of uh, Lighthouse's uh, coaching on on that. And I was probably more nervous in that moment than actually going and giving it just because I know she's going to be like, Ryan, <laughs> you know, I'm waiting for the feedback. And, and so I think that's actually, but it's super important. It's super important to do that. And most people avoid it. They do not do it. And then they're shocked that it didn't go well. Um, to add a little bit a little bit more nuance to rehearsing, I would say first start off by saying it aloud to yourself because you can catch a lot by just getting out of your head and actually saying it aloud. For example, once you hear it, you'll you'll start to notice that some of the language sounds like written language, really formal, but it's not conversational. So, okay, you can work through those things, figure out what, what your transitions are, then go to people you trust. And then I would say there needs to be a cutoff because I've certainly experienced where I'm trying to please all the people who are giving me feedback and I kind of lose my own voice. And if that happens too close to the date of the presentation, I've bombed. So I would say a couple days before, say, okay, great, I got feedback, I'm letting that go, and now I'm making it my own, and then go forth from that point. Wait, Ryan and I have had this discussion before about, again, the people you're bouncing your feedback off of or giving a, a test presentation to, you should know them well. They should be honest, but they should also know how to give feedback. There's definitely been instances, and Ryan and I have discussed this at length, of people giving feedback when deep, deep feedback on like, ah, your fundamental premise is wrong when the presentation is tomorrow or like the next day. And as someone who's giving (laughs) feedback, you should probably be more emotionally aware of like, yeah, that's probably not the best, best thing to do. Just like salvage what you can and say, um, yeah, maybe the ending could use a bit tighter of a, of a wrap up, but just to anybody out there who's giving feedback, just keep in mind where they are in the presentation process. And if they're near the end, it's probably not the best time to say like, this isn't the best idea for a talk. Just, I just think this happened to me at uh, South by Southwest. I got some like fundamental feedback the day before the presentation. And I'm like, that's not helpful. Kind of threw your confidence. A bit, but you know, I'm Jem. So, you know, I, I, just, <laughs> I have that deep well of confidence. Uh, but following that, what what really helps when receiving feedback and if someone's if you have someone you trust who says, I don't really get it, it's to have the fundamental can you summarize your presentation in one sentence? And I think and you taught us this, and Ryan definitely calls me on it all the time when I'm rehearsing for him. He'll say, What's my one takeaway from your entire presentation? And if you can't say it in a sentence, then you should probably rework your presentation to focus on that one point or maybe two points. But it's super helpful when you're crafting a point and you're like, how do I get from beginning to the end? Well, what what's my main premise? What is the one thing I want people to learn? And Mars, like you said earlier, especially if you're doing it at a conference where there's 50 talks or something like that, cheers. people aren't going to remember. Cheers. cheers. People aren't going to remember 99% of what you said. But if you can get them to take away one thing from your presentation, then you've done a good job. So we've, we've talked a lot about presenting maybe at like our nice little keyword of conference. Cheers. Cheers. Uh, <laughs> but I, I'm curious, what's the difference between presenting to a meeting versus a conference? Because those are 
there's there's similarities but there's also a lot of differences and and you may show up completely different to that so i'm curious and but also to the rest of the group what how do you think about that like what are the best ways to prepare for a meeting presentation versus a public speaking conference type thing cheers cheers (laughs) just all the keywords they are definitely different i think for a conference presentation it's a little bit more of a performance in a few aspects. Number one, everything you do is gonna be a little bit bigger because you may have hundreds of people, you're on stage, your opening story is gonna have a little bit more entertainment value and might be longer. So all everything's gonna be bigger and whatever you prepare is most likely what's gonna happen, what you're gonna do. But for an internal presentation, for a presentation and a meeting, it's, it's a little more casual. It doesn't mean that you shouldn't prepare. You should probably also start off with the story, but rather than being two to three minutes, it's gonna be more casual. Like, hey, as I was preparing for this meeting, the one idea that kept coming up for me was X. So you're gonna ease into that story in a conversational way. And then you gotta be flexible because you may think you've got 20 minutes, you've got 10. You may get interrupted with questions. And so it's having a plan, but being really flexible too. So Anne, I wanna, go back a little bit on on the story piece there and there's good reason for this because i think it is really important and it's something that you talk a lot about in your workshop and i will admittedly say i didn't buy it at first i didn't think that you needed to have this story and i've seen presentations from others or myself when i haven't done that it's such an important aspect of the overall presentation that i I just want i'm curious like you know what does a story mean and like why is that so important it Story, it's interesting when in workshops, people will usually, they they also don't buy it. Like, no, no, I'm not going to do that because it feels weird. It feels different. So it most does. people want to start off with like, hey, I'm Anne. Thanks so much for coming. So today, here's my topic. Here's the agenda. Okay, let's get started. I call those a lovely bunch of words. And Jim, you were talking about this earlier, like whatever, doesn't mean anything. And then people start to perk up once you start to tell a story. So why not cut all that? <laughs> crap before and just get into a story. It's not like some random story, but it's a story related to your topic. It's like an on-ramp that gets everyone up to speed. So rather than thinking of it as this random thing that's not related, think about it as an on-ramp to get people up to speed, on the same page, on board with what your presentation is about. It's like you said earlier, like, I I like we keep looping back on points because that's what a good presentation is. Like, it's just all these things. But, and what you said earlier was it's really about the connection you make. And that's what the story does is it sets a baseline. And then you say, why should I care? And then you tell some story that people can relate to versus some, I don't know, like obscure technical topic you're covering. Like tell people why they should care, what this is about. Uh, it, it really comes back to, uh, I'll say that the first presentation class I had with you, Anne, you made us all memorize some line, like just you know, a couple sentences. A, a quote, yeah. A <laughs> uh, quote, yeah. Uh, and the quote I had was from Maya Angelou, and I still remember it to this day. It's that uh, in the end, people won't remember what you did. They won't remember what you said. All they'll remember is how you made them feel. And that is 100% true. Like in any presentation, technical or non, it's about that connection in the beginning and that story. And people are like, okay, I don't know. I don't know Ryan from the next guy, but I know a little something about him and I know he's passionate about this topic because of the story he told. I'm going to listen a little bit more versus I'm some corporate drone who's just giving a talk about something and then I'm going to go home and I don't really want to do this. And 
like that comes through a hundred percent in someone's energy. So yeah, the story, the story is like absolutely key. I was thinking about that quote before. I'm so glad you brought that up because that was on my mind too. And it doesn't always have to be a story that you start off with, but yeah, it's about connecting. Also, when you tell a story, you tend to use more conversational language back to this idea. Again, it's not like optimize, leverage, and people start to, <laughs> it just, they're listening and like intellectually they get it, but they're not really connecting to it. So. Yeah, it goes back to Jem's point of like, how do you get the energy of the room that can do it right there? Mm -hmm. I think that story, it hooks people. You come out with a good energy because you're telling the story, but it hooks you versus I'm Ryan. I'm going to talk to you about React hooks. That's boring. Get that later. Let's start with the story and really get people energized and excited about the topic. And what I find kind of interesting too, which I think just occurred to me is that like the story allows your passion for the topic to show through, which I've, I've heard a lot in terms of like creating engagement with the audience, as opposed to, which is actually, I think, more of a qualification for talking about it than your actual qualifications of, I'm a senior, so like I'm not a software engineer. It's more like, <laughs> I feel really passionately about this. And I think that's actually more interesting um, to someone than, you know, what your title is, where you work, you know, how long you've been in the industry, that kind of thing. The slide with the picture and all the bullet points. Yeah, uh, <laughs> much better. We story. all have that, yeah. <laughs> and that's okay. But if you have, if that comes later, I think that's okay. But I, one of the things I always say, it's not about you as the speaker, it's about your topic. So if you're thinking in that way, you wouldn't start off with explaining who you are. You start up on the topic and then you can say who you are after that. So another thing I'm, I'm curious about, and this is something that, I don't know that I've given it a ton of thought, but we obviously have a pretty global audience and there could be non-native English speaking listeners out there. Any, any communication tips you would give for non-native English speakers who are listening? I think it kind of relates to what we were talking about before about this need when, when we're speaking publicly, whether that's in a meeting or presentation, we're so concerned about coming across perfectly, having our English perfect, every words and the script is perfect. But again, people aren't going to remember every word. They're going to remember how overall how you came across. So same thing with your English. You may mispronounce a word and that's okay. You may not know the perfect vocabulary word and you use a more simple word and that's okay. As long as you're getting your message across and you're coming across in a way that's connecting and seems pretty confident, that's more important. So just get out there, practice, and the more you do it, the better your English is, is going to be. But I see that all the time in Silicon Valley where non-native English speakers say, oh, my English is so bad. And I'm thinking, what? <laughs> your English is perfect. So know that it always seems worse in your head than it does to your audience, or most of the time. And it's probably good to not surface that too, like say, oh, my English is poor, because then it's already disqualifying you a bit or and you're losing that confidence I'm, I'm assuming that's probably not the best thing to say yeah I always say avoid disclaimers I mean there's one if you make a mistake and you make a self-deprecating joke no big deal but to start off saying your English is poor either it's not and people are like what is she talking about and that was wasted time or yeah it just calls their attention to it when it again it's not about you it's about your your topic so tell a friend that but don't start off the presentation on that note so before we dive into picks, we've got a ton of amazing advice, I think, just unpacking in this episode. But I'm curious for all of you, what's like one piece of advice for our listeners that you would share, whether it be presenting or just public speaking in general? What's one piece of advice that you would love to share before we dive into picks? Just one. 
Just one. Just one. <laughs> I want to share. I mean, I think I've already, I already said it on this podcast, but um, the one that really sticks with me is it really takes a village. Like good talks really just don't happen alone. And the feedback that I've gotten from coworkers like Ryan and Jem and Anne in the workshop with Anne, it just it the, the practice is so invaluable. And the feedback you get not only on your presentation style, but on the story and the way that you're telling it. I don't know. I just I couldn't. I don't think I could have done any of my conference talks without it. So that's the one thing I really. That's the one piece of advice I would always give someone. And cheers. <laughs> cheers. 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 I love that advice. Yes, I, I, I remember calling Ryan presentation terrible. Actually, I think what I said was, you've done better and you can do better. But, and in the end, it turned out that was one of the best presentations you've ever given, like by far. Like, it was just amazing. I, I was probably better than all of my presentations, which is- Yeah, I don't believe that. I, mean, I, have, a, I have a high opinion of myself. <laughs> it is a competition, and It's a competition every time. Uh, I think, uh, I guess if we're just one advice for a presentation, a lot of people that listen to the show, the, the Fred and Happier Hour regulars, they're engineers. So I remember thinking that in my early days, like, I only care about technical things, not soft skills. All that matters to my job is how well I can code. That is 100% not true. Uh, a good example is, let's say you create, I don't know, some great algorithm and it saves the company millions of dollars. Cool. But how are you going to get people to implement that if you can't explain that to them? And that's universally true across any engineering idea is it doesn't matter how smart you are. If you can't explain it to people simply and you can't get them to buy into that idea, then it doesn't matter. You go code in the woods for all it matters. I just think as engineers, we neglect presentation skills far too much. It, it is absolutely one of our core competencies that we should master along with coding. Yeah. So get out there and do it. <laughs> yes. Get- so piggybacking off Jim's point, I would say, you know, if you're an engineer or actually whatever your role is, do something that scares you a little bit. So maybe if you've been focusing on your technical skills, simply speaking up in a big group meeting feels scary. So so do that. Make that a goal. Tell somebody on your team who's going to hold you accountable to, to reaching that goal. Maybe it's volunteering to give a conference talk. Cheers. 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 <laughs> and it's going to be stressful leading up to it and it's going to feel scary, but you'll do it. And it may not be the best presentation you'll ever give to everyone's point before, but that's where you got to start. So just do something that scares you a little bit and do it once a year so that you keep advancing your skills. Wow. These are some good points. I'm I'm going to leave. It's hard to pick just one good piece of advice, um, but I'm going to go in a little bit different direction that I don't think anyone's really surfaced is I think something that I found really helpful it goes back to the, you know, what's the takeaway? What's the point being made? I think it's really important in that summary is to reiterate the takeaways for people, especially when I think to those larger onstage talks that we would be doing. I mean, I look at the room, they're on Twitter, they're they're not always paying attention. So just reemphasize what are the main takeaways and, and recap that. And I think that is really helpful too. It gets to that point of what's the clear message. Well, tell them again. All right. Well, in each episode of the Front End Happy Hour podcast, we like to share pics of things that we found interesting and we like to share with everyone listening. Let's go around and share our pics. Mars, you want to start it off? No, but I will. <laughs> <laughs> I've, I've actually been quite focused on work for the past week, so I don't really have too many pics. My one pick being the wine that my mom so graciously brought to me in the middle of this episode which is um, from a company called Companion Wine Company. 
And uh, canned wine is becoming, like, the quality in canned wine is actually, like, it's exploding, which is great. Um, and it's this, one of the best Pinot Gris I've had in a really long time. And it's called Skin Contact. And Jeb is laughing at me, but we're going to ignore that. Um, and it comes in, like, a four-pack. So you can order it online if you're really interested. It's, like, out of, like, a full-bodied Pinot Gris that's a little pink because um, it has some contact with the grapes still. Um, so if you're interested in trying out some of the stuff that we drink here on Fun and Happy Hour or just some of the stuff that I drink here on Fun and Happy Hour, I would highly recommend um, this particular brand of canned wine. <laughs> yeah, and Mars, I wasn't laughing at the fact you're drinking canned wine, which is hilarious. I was. I, I was... I mean, I was too, let's be honest. Uh, I'm a big fan of It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. And they had an episode where they started pouring wine into soda cans so they could like day drink all the time. And like by the end of the episode, everybody's drinking soda out of cans, but it's actually wine. And someone on Twitter will get this and they'll be like, ha ha, Jim. I get I've that. only seen a couple episodes, but the philanthropist, I don't want to say what that it was just, just I was dying. <laughs> I know, I know which one you're talking about. Uh, I have three picks today. Um, the first one is a TV show on Netflix. It's called The Midnight Gospel. It's actually a cartoon. It's by Pendleton Ward, who created Adventure Time that most people know him by. But this one, he plays uh, a random character. It's kind of a mishmash of different themes. But the overall theme is he picks one person who's really knowledgeable on a topic and there's some sort of background story that has no meaning on the topic. It's more like it's just filler to, I don't know, keep keep the keep you entertained because they talk about deep things like um, Hinduism and life and death, rebirth, uh, drugs effect on the psyche, like whether or not they should be legal or not. They they go to really really deep topics, but it's to the background of kind of like a zany cartoon. So it, it kind of hooks you in and you're kind of watching the cartoon, but you're also like, huh, you know, I've never thought about our, the thing that causes us pain and our burden is that we know we'll die someday. We just, as humans, we never accept that. And like, they get really, really deep. So Midnight Gospel is not, I wouldn't say it's light watching. It looks like it because it's cartoon, but it's really, really heavy. But it's excellent. Just if you watch one episode, I, I think you'll get hooked. The second pick is... Um, it, it answers a question I've always had, which is, what do executives do, actually? And I always wondered that. Like, Reed Hastings, uh, CEO of Netflix, worth $4.6 or something like that. What does he actually do? Like, wh what is the day-to-day -day of an executive? And th this blog post goes into that, and they answer it in really interesting ways. It's not what I thought. Uh, and I, I won't give away kind of what executives do in the day-to-day. But it's just fascinating because I just never think like, what does my director do all day? They're not coding. But it's just, I, I think we have, uh, at least me as an individual contributor, have a, like, a fundamental misunderstanding about what executives do and what their role is. And understanding that helps me do my job better in terms of like how they see me and the work I do and how that translates across an entire organization. It's a pretty short read and it's pretty entertaining. So that's, uh, yeah, you can find out what executives do. Uh, my final pick is a Valley Silicon pick. That is the segment where I pick things that are so expensive they probably shouldn't exist, except that we in Silicon Valley have too much money. So what, what's a problem we all have in our day-to-day -day life? Ryan, you, I, earlier we were talking about how your microwave went out. And, and you're talking about, you don't even know how much a refrigerator costs. 
Well, what if I can give you a device that does both of these in one? Yeah, I, I have your interest. Oh, no, but like, well, but why? Why? Yeah, I think the question is why, because like I look at that, a microwave is fairly small. So a fridge that's a microwave, you're not going to fit much in there. And you're right, Ryan, you won't. You won't. But for $1,200, you can have the sous vide. The sous vide is uh, billed as your family's robot chef, which is absolutely not true. But essentially what it does is you do all the prep work. You put all the food together into their proprietary containers because, of course, they're proprietary. And you put the food into this device and some of it keeps cold. Some of it heats up and it does it all in one kind of box. And I know what you're thinking. You're like, I have a microwave and I have a refrigerator. What do I need this for? Well, you don't. That's why it's Valley Silicon. <laughs> it's, I, I'm not kidding. It's $1,200 and that's all it is. It is a microwave and refrigerator in one, but it's not big enough to be that terribly useful. And you still have to cook all the food ahead of time and then put it together. And it just, I guess it's like a crock pot, but it's a microwave. But I don't know. Why to have the two functions in one thing? Like, I, I don't know. I don't, I don't know either. But is it Wi-Fi enabled? Oh, of course it's Wi-Fi enabled. Oh, totally. Yes, then that makes you sense. You need that. Anyways, well, if anybody buys one, um, you know, send, send me a review because you obviously have more money than me. <laughs> At Jem Young on Twitter. Tell them what you think. At Jem Young, yes. So my picks, uh, I got two. Unorthodox on Netflix. Have any of you seen it? I just watched it and I loved it. Four episodes. It was just so amazing. And I learned a lot about um, the Hasidic Jew uh, population, religion, it was very interesting. The other pick I have is kind of old school, but I love Fresh Air on NPR with Terry Gross. <laughs> I just love it. Even though the topics are serious, her voice is very soothing and calming, and I learn a lot about communication from her because she has great pauses. She's just great. She's a great interviewer, so that is my pick. I don't think I've heard that one. I'm going to go listen to that. Sounds good. I agree with you, Anne. It's very, very soothing. And she does have great right? questions. It's always very well structured. She's one of the greatest interviewers of our of our time, for sure. Like, she just interviews everybody. She does it so well. Even people that you know she doesn't agree with, and you can kind of, kind of hear it, she still, like, is managed to have, like, a civil dialogue with them. Yeah, good pick. All right, I have two picks. Uh, one is actually really funny, because, like, how I came about this is I was Googling, this is on topic. I was Googling, I felt, this is about maybe a year ago. It was something that I wanted to be a little more clear and concise on the points that I was even making in a meeting. And so naturally Google that. And I came across a video called How to Make Clear and Concise Points oh, no. that Anne put <laughs> no, together. It's, it's good though. It's like two minutes, two, three minutes long and it gives some really great tips. So I'm going to pick that. Sorry, Anne. Oh, my God. It's like from 2014. I'm doing a little fireside chat at my apartment. <laughs> I think it's great. Uh, and it was just hilarious. It's like, oh, I, I got to just do a little more research on how I can make more clear and concise points. And sure enough, there's some great advice there. Thanks, Ryan. Then uh, another pick I have, maybe on topic, especially we've been talking about virtual meetings and having to speak and, and make clear points. I think investing in a good mic is really important. And one that I will recommend is when people ask is the Blue Yeti mic. 
It's something that's it's a great USB mic, really easy to use. And it's one that uh, we actually used for a good year or two. I think we were using Blue Yetis when we were recording the Front End Happy Hour podcast. We have since changed, but they, I think they're great mics for the use of just plugging in your computer and going. Before we end the episode, I want to thank Anne for joining us. It was a pleasure having you us and sharing a lot of great knowledge. Where can people get in touch with you? So Anne at <laughs> lhctraining.com is my email. And then the website is LHC, that stands for Lighthouse Communications, lhctraining.com. And thanks for having me, Ryan. And I'm correct to say that people can hire your company to, to come in, even at their company, to give workshop virtually or hopefully at some point in person. That's right. We're doing virtual workshops right now and virtual coaching. And then at some point, we'll also go back to in-person. I, I bet we'll do a combo. <laughs> That's cool. Well, I mean, you can extend to you know new countries and cities too, right? Like you don't actually have to physically be there, which is pretty exciting too. That is cool. I, I, I just think it's important to point out on Fred and Happy Hour, we don't have advertisers. We have never taken a single dollar from anybody to promote. And we actually almost never promote a company. But I would also second and in Lighthouse Communications. Mars, Ryan, and I are all graduates, more or less. Of, hopefully uh, we passed. Hopefully we, we do okay. And a plus. I got to... <laughs> yeah i we are all much better presenters for having taken this class and i i think you can tell if you there's not, it's really hard to tell because you don't know when you took the class but i can see my work from before and after the class is like i'm a much better presenter for it so thank you thank you guys that's so nice well thanks for joining us and thanks for sharing awesome tips for our listeners too thank you all for listening to today's episode you can find us at frontendhappyhour.com you can subscribe to us on whatever you like to listen to podcasts on, whether it be Spotify, I don't know, Google Play, Apple Podcasts. You can also find us on Twitter at FrontendHH. Any last words? Right. Are you still bitter? <laughs> You're still bitter about that feedback I gave you. I can tell. Yeah, I can hear it. <laughs> I have trouble sleeping at night, Jim. I still, oh, it's just, it keeps me up at night. Jim, didn't you learn in the class you got to start with a positive feedback? then go into <laughs> it, it didn't warrant any and there was no okay. reason for positive nothing, nothing. Okay. no i said he was... smelled nice in the beginning ryan you smell nice now right. on to your presentation thank you <laughs> yeah